It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do or die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show, Thank buddy. you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders, they were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played the 11 angry men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence. So that's where we are, Raider Nation. Simply put, man up and play football and win a game. And now. That's a hell of a motivational speech. Here's JT the Brick. And I- Out of the gate, JT with you from Vegas as we continue on NFL owners meetings. Let's welcome in Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk, the author of the forthcoming book, Father of Mine, coming out April 25th, wherever books are sold. And Mike, great night to talk to you. Great day because of the news of Lamar Jackson. There's so much here. First off, the timing of his release telling everyone about the trade request. What jumped out at you there? Well, he tweeted his message right at the time that John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, was talking to reporters at the league meeting in Arizona. So I don't think there are any coincidences, period. I don't think that's a coincidence, and it's something that he's been sitting on for several weeks because he makes it clear it was on March 2nd that Lamar Jackson made the trade request to the Baltimore Ravens. So, Look, this is something that he should have done a while ago. If he's not going to get from the Ravens what he wants, then he needs to make it clear he's not playing there. That's one of the ingredients in Deshaun Watson's eventual five-year, fully guaranteed $245 million contract. So I think that it was overdue that he did what he did. And I think that if he's ever going to move this thing in the direction he wants it to go, he needs to take a stand like that. It may be too late, but it's definitely the kind of stand he needs take mike did this statement have to come the tweet right at that time what does that tell you about the lack of good faith and the negotiation going forward because john harbaugh and him has had a lot of success and he's jumping into a breakfast press conference not knowing this until he starts it off that doesn't seem like a relationship that could be repaired and it's odd too because john harbaugh is not the one that is making the decisions it's the team owner Steve Bishotti, it's the general manager Eric Costa, and Harbaugh has been very careful to be not quite standoffish, but but neutral when it comes to what's going on with, with Lamar Jackson's contract. So, it really is strange and I don't know that that this is a cause as much as it's probably a symptom of a deeper issue that has been present for a while between Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Otherwise, he'd have his contract by now. I mean, we've gone well past the point at which we we should have gone if he was going to do the deal that he deserves. Now, some would say if he had an agent, he would have had the deal that, that the best deal he could have gotten by now. But the bottom line is he wants more than anyone has been willing to give him. Mike Florio joins us. Mike, for as long as we've both been doing this, is there a comp, is there something similar to the market potentially collapsing. I use throwout statistics in real estate all the time. 
The comp is $240 million. Throw that out. That's unrealistic. And then I go to the comp of $84 million guaranteed by Kirk Cousins. Now I'm looking for guaranteed money or big money not guaranteed. Where do you think the market is today when it comes to him as a quarterback for a new team or staying in Baltimore? Well, it's not at a significant full guarantee at signing. Mm-hmm. Now, what he may want at this point – the, the guy that was calling around for him, Ken Francis, the NFL slammed the door last week on Ken Francis because he's not certified by the NFL Players Association making those calls. He was, I'm told, getting the word out that Lamar doesn't want a fully guaranteed contract. But that can be misleading because I believe what he wants fully guaranteed is so significant it doesn't matter if there's some dummy stuff on the back end that isn't. And that allows you to truthfully say, hey, he doesn't want a fully guaranteed contract. Right, but he still wants a hell of a lot of money fully guaranteed. Look, bottom line is he's had two years to negotiate a new contract with the Ravens. Whatever the best offer is they made before last season, I'd love to know what that is. We've heard bits and pieces of it. We've never heard the full package. I think if we saw the full terms and we were able to look at them and objectively assess them, I think most people would say, oh, Lamar, should have taken that deal. The Mike Floyd, is, yeah. Ahead, the, Mike. And the real question is, JT, would the Ravens put on the table now what was on the table back in August or September of last year? I'm not sure they're going to offer him the same that they would have offered him before the 2022 season. Mike Florio's our guest. So, Mike, walk us through the difference between a qualifying offer, he's been tagged, the team giving up two first-round picks, and then the Ravens being able to match that, or the potential of a trade. I see a lot of people talking now, now that it looks like it's more of a trade than, hey, this is what we're going to do, we're going to give you an offer and then match it. What has changed in regards to Lamar's request, if anything at all? Well, if a trade gets worked out, logistically it's a lot easier for the team that wants him, especially if you're talking about a guy like Lamar Jackson, a franchise quarterback, you know, if, if, for example, and I have no reason to think the Vikings would want to do this. I have no reason to think the Ravens would want Kirk Cousins. But if the Vikings would want to make a play for Lamar Jackson, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to work out a deal by which they know they're going to get Lamar Jackson, even if they would trade Kirk Cousins to someone else as part of a deal that happens simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Cousins out. Jackson in, Vikings move forward. That makes more sense than a situation where the Vikings would get rid of Cousins, have Lamar Jackson sign an offer sheet, wait for the Ravens, sweat it out, Ravens match it, and then week one, it's, ladies and gentlemen, starting a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, Nick Mullins. So if you're going to do a trade, you know, the, the Lions, if, if the Ravens would want Jared Goff, or if the Lions could unload Jared Goff, at the same time, it's a lot easier and it does less potential damage than coming up with a plan for Goff, then going after Jackson, and then finding out the Ravens are going to keep him. So I, I actually think in some respects, if he could get a trade to happen, it makes more sense. The question is, what would the Ravens want at this point to trade Lamar Jackson? Because a lot of people think if someone would sign to an offer sheet, they would just go ahead and take the two first-round picks. Right. Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk, author of the forthcoming book, Father of Mine. We'll get to that in a moment. Mike, let me give you one more potential partner here, Miami. I was always led to believe he's down there. He wants to play for the Dolphins. They go with the two extension off the rookie deal. They got a lot of assets they can trade. They got good players on both sides of the ball. 
But if he wanted to do a deal like this, we know Stephen Ross wanted Tom Brady and what happened with the tampering there. Even though they don't have the draft equity of a first-round pick, but they got Tua and some other assets, and he wants to go to South Florida and play for the Dolphins, how could a deal like that come together? Fascinating to think of Tua being actually included in the trade package if he would want to go to the Ravens. And look, people say, well, Tua doesn't have a no-trade clause, but for a starting quarterback, you need him to be on board with anything like that. With a trade, new team isn't going to want him if he doesn't want to be there. New team wants a guy who wants to be there. So that's what they would have to do at this point. Now that they've picked up the fifth-year option on Tua and they're committed to him through 2024, you can't, as a practical matter, go get Lamar Jackson now. And they don't have the first-round pick this year. They couldn't have pursued Lamar Jackson until after this year's draft because that's when they're – their first-round pick replenishes, and they would have two consecutive original first-round picks, 24 and 25. I just think it's too late for the Dolphins. Once they pick up the Tua 50-year option, I think that takes them out of Lamar Jackson. But, but you've intrigued me because if the Ravens would want Tua, that would be a way to make this happen. I, just, I don't know that the Ravens would want Tua, and I don't know that, that Tua would want to go to the Ravens. Mike, in our last conversation, I was led to believe, knowing all the players involved with what's happening with Daniel Snyder, that there would be easily 24 votes. And we talked about the fact that Snyder could be vindictive and he could have other information on other owners. I cannot believe we're at the owners' meeting, and this isn't breaking news on SportsCenter, where the ownership is ready to get him out of this club and move on from this disaster. What's the latest from the owner's perspective of what's going on with Daniel Snyder at the meetings there? I think the owners are confident and satisfied with the reality that Snyder is going to sell the team. I reported a week and a half ago that the Snyders had cleared out of the facility. They actually did that in December. They live in London now, and that the word in the commander's building is that a sale is imminent. Okay. And I thought that maybe they were trying to get everything lined up secretly, quietly behind the scenes. You don't want to do it like a normal sale of a team where we find out who the person is, and then there's like five or six weeks of lag time before it's finalized because once that is out there, then that gives Snyder more leverage to say, wait, 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 I want this. Oh, wait, I want this. I want this. Who's going to tell him no once the cat's out of the bag? So I still hold out, I don't want to say hope, Mm -hmm. but I hold out the possibility that something happened secretly and quietly this week, although I have a feeling we'd have heard something more tangible. I just think they've backed off because they're confident he's going to do it. The, the report from the Washington Post from last night, JT, that, that Mary Jo White, who's doing this follow-up investigation of allegations involving Snyder and the team, Snyder's refused to meet with her and be interviewed. That, to me, is the clearest evidence yet he's selling the team because there's no way in hell he can give her the finger – and still own the team. That gives them exactly what they need. That's the silver bullet for them to get rid of him if he just refuses to meet with her. Mike, tell us about the premise of your forthcoming book, Father of Mine. Well, you know, I grew up in a town, uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, 60 miles away from Pittsburgh, and in the 70s, the mob was prevalent there, and I think it was prevalent in many small towns throughout the country. My dad was a bookie who was actually tied to the local crew, so I picked up some things back in those days and so many of the mob stories we've seen over the years are set in big cities. And I, I just know from my own experience, and I was a kid, so, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know it, you know, I didn't live it. But, I, again, secondhand, I learned a lot about it. 
and I crafted a story that hopefully will be compelling, page-turning, something people will be interested in, a little bit different than the usual mob story, but but uh, definitely the kind of thing that folks would be interested in if they like that that genre. And it's only four ninety nine. And JT, I've been doing my research. There ain't much you can buy for four ninety nine right now. So <laughs> hey, this my- is one thing you can get for four ninety nine. Yes, and Mike, finally on this, I had a, one of my best friends. Father was in the same business when I was a kid, and I watched it from the distance. Not only did you have to worry about the mob wanting a piece. You had people, bad people in town that wouldn't pay their bills if they lost bets. You had to go collect and do all that. When you're talking about a rural town or if you're in the Queens or the Bronx, that is a stressful life, not only for the individual, the bookmaker, but the family, the wife and the kids and everyone in the community that you got to keep it silent from. Well, let me tell you, my mom did a fantastic job of keeping it all even killed and giving me a quote-unquote normal life, as normal as it could be. Because, again, the stuff that I became aware of as I got older, that's all you know. We are very adept as human beings to adjusting and, and adapting to whatever our reality is. But yeah, it was it was wild. And, and hey, if you're tied in with the crew that runs the town, the last thing you have to worry about is somebody not paying. That's part of what you pay your 60% mm-hmm. up to the boss for. They get you that money one way or the other, but you don't have to go out and get it yourself. Can't wait to read it from the owners' meetings. Thanks, Mike. Always good to talk to you. All the best. Thanks, JT. See you, pal. Mike Florio. That's a big get for us today to get him from the owners' meetings. Also, we have Vinnie Bonson, in your queue. Uh, they were down there asking questions. A lot of our teammates, Raiders, insiders who were down there. I don't know everybody who was there, but I got the alert this morning. I've had some people in town. I've been under the weather, and my phone was buzzing early in the morning, and I looked up, and it said, Josh McDaniel's about to uh, meet. I left the bedroom, went downstairs. And uh, watched it all. Good questions there. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. But Mike Florio, that conversation on what's going on with Lamar Jackson is fascinating to all of us. Fascinating. Because the Raiders benched their quarterback at the end of last year, Derek Carr. They benched him for one reason, one reason only. They did not want to have to pick up his full contract with guarantees if he got injured. Uh, Derek was on a podcast, said some great things about Mark Davis when he was at Darren Waller's wedding. That's up on a different podcast. You can go find it if you want to look at that. We're not going to play any of that sound here. But when you look at the quarterback market, what's changed over the last couple of weeks and last couple of months is fascinating to me. Derek Carr benched then moved on. He gets to exercise his no-trade clause, which he had the right to do. He ends up in New Orleans with Dennis Allen. That's where he wants to be. Then you have Aaron Rodgers. Everybody indicates that Aaron Rodgers is going to be fine going to the Jets. But now there's a little bit of a hiccup in that deal. Because Green Bay is now flexing their beer muscles, great drinking town, and Green Bay saying, you know, we know we're probably going to do the deal. We got the quarterback we want here, but we're going to make Aaron sweat a little bit. And Aaron likes the media. Aaron likes the media. He likes knowing what he's being talked about in the media. He goes to Pat McAfee and all that. So that's brewing, but then it becomes Lamar Jackson. And the Lamar Jackson issue now becomes an issue that I'm not comfortable talking about because I don't believe in collusion in this matter, and I don't believe it's a racial issue. A lot of other people are going to say race, and it's been trending, and people are talking about that on Twitter. Daniel Jones, white quarterback. Derek Carr, white quarterback, getting more money than an MVP, 26-year-old, than Lamar Jackson. I don't see color in this issue. I just see bad timing because of the Deshaun Watson contract. The Deshaun Watson contract tra- changed everything because he wasn't worth $240 million. I think he's a damn good quarterback. Deshaun Watson's a hell of a quarterback. If the Raiders would have got him too, and that didn't fit the model 
of Mark Davis and a lot of owners when it comes to these issues with women and reactions to all that. So I never thought he was going to be a Raider here. But I thought that he was a $200 million guy. $240 million guaranteed. That everybody thought that set the market. It did not set the market. It was a bad contract. And now Lamar Jackson is the first victim of that. Also today, there are reports that the Chargers want to start negotiation on a contract extension for Justin Herbert at $300 million. That's $300 million where Lamar Jackson can't get about $150 or $160 million. What, what's the, the Internet's going to break if that happens. I think Justin Herbert's a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson, but that's a debatable topic. A lot of other people think, I think Justin Herbert is next level. He's the most impressive quarterback I've ever seen in Allegiant Stadium, and I'm allowed to have that opinion because I was there when there was no one in the building to see him play once, and then the greatest regular season game of all time. Herbert's got everything you need, everything you need to be the best quarterback in football. Well, the Chargers have no franchise without him. So Herbert has all the control in that negotiation. It's the number two media market where they split a stadium that they don't own with the Rams. The Chargers have never won a championship, and they got a golden boy down there. They're going to give him $300 million. And what is Lamar Jackson going to say if he's playing for $32 million on a franchise tag? I mean, this is getting crazy here because you're looking at aging quarterbacks. Tom Brady still winning past the age of 40. Winning at the age of 45. Aaron Rodgers, still elite at 39 years old. He's won two out of the last three MVPs, everybody. Then you got Lamar Jackson sitting around with no agent, just his mom at 26 years old going, what about me? What did I do wrong? I didn't get involved in any bad behavior. I didn't do anything wrong. I want to get paid. I win games. He has a right to be upset about this, but the market changes. There are days you wake up and you look at the stock market and maybe you have a stock that you're really passionate about, and it gets slaughtered. You can't be emotional. You have to say, the market went down today. My stock's down 15%, even though it's tied to your 401k and your retirement, and you got to live with it. You can't get emotional and sell that day because you're pissed off. And that's what's happening now with Lamar Jackson. I believe that the Baltimore organization, owned by Steve Bashotti, head coach John Harbaugh, is saying, we like the guy. We want to win with him. We can win with him. But we're not giving him $200 million guaranteed. No way in hell as a running quarterback are we going to do that. Well, then why are you going to give Justin Herbert $300 million? He had a 27 to nothing lead in Jacksonville and lost a game. That was one of the epic choke jobs of all time. Derek Carr was a quarterback who was on the field for five blown double-digit leads. He got rewarded with a new contract, but it was a different city. So as I pushed Mike Florio on that, and I think he respects me, we go back 20 years, I think, that Mike made an interesting point about Tua. If Tua would agree to a trade to Baltimore, you can get Tua, who's pretty good, coming back, and maybe a wide receiver, Waddle or one of the other receivers, and a couple of picks, and you can wait, and then, then Lamar Jackson can go to South Florida, where he wants to be. So these are all very important topics now at the NFL owners meeting. And then in regards to Daniel Snyder, I will say this again. I've moved on in my life. I move on in my life. But I don't move on from my family and friends. If my family and friends, if we have a disagreement, I'm more loyal than anybody you can meet when it comes to my family and friends. And John Gruden was in that category for me for a long time. Still to this day. John Gruden's always been good to me. I got hired the first time. he had, The same day John Gruden got hired. The, the, one of the main reasons John Gruden was out was the mistakes with his email amongst friends amongst friends in a group of friends 
He was the only one taken out by Daniel Snyder. He was the guy taken out by Daniel Snyder when the Raiders had a pretty good record and had some mojo going, and boom, that chapter was closed. I didn't forget that. I'm rooting damn hard, and I'm loyal to Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and Mark Davis. My loyalties to Mark Davis, I'll never apologize for that. I want this team to win, but I want Daniel Snyder out. Daniel Snyder had a deep effect on the Raiders' record, and he manipulated the release of that email chain, and it only took out one guy. And the one guy is going to be fine. He's going to deal with it on his end, and we'll see what happens there. But there's a lot of other people, wink, wink, on that email chain and a lot of other emails that were out there, and there are coaches walking around at the NFL owners' meetings and other events here that weren't affected by that. That Daniel Snyder had a negative impact on the Las Vegas Raiders, a brand-new franchise, a, a legendary franchise in a brand-new market. And all of a sudden, Daniel Snyder thinks he's going to move to London and sell the team when he wants, and it's all going to go away. No, 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 no. There will be, there will be payback for that from the other owners with Daniel Snyder. I think he's stalling. I really think what Daniel Snyder is doing is stalling now, hoping that there's owners meeting after owners meeting, everybody forgets about him, and then he'll still own the commanders. But he's probably on his way out. Someone will overpay for his franchise, and if they don't and there's any shenanigans, I think the owners will come together for a quick meeting and vote him out. They definitely have 24 votes to get him out. Easily 24 votes. Thanks to Mike Florio who just joined us. I think I'm getting shut out with a phone call. I knew I had Casey Jacobson, Mike Florio, and all this. But Bobby, check the phones and plug them back in again. I think I'm going to break my word count for today. And I have the worst voice I've ever had in a year on this channel, man. I've been beating up this head call. 702-365-9200. You just heard from Florio on what's happening with Lamar Jackson. You heard the Jimmy G conversation coming from Josh McDaniels on that. And the rest of the show, we have more sound bites from the head coach of the Raiders at the breakfast meeting today. And then some one-on-ones with the Raider insiders. We'll play some of that sound coming up and want to hear from you. If you did go to the Elite Eight or Sweet 16, I want to know how that went. My wife, my wife went to Taylor Swift. Okay, my wife went to the original Farm Aid. Original. Go look at the lineup of that. Might be the greatest lineup in the history of rock and roll. She's gone to 12 or 13 Rolling Stones shows with me, and she can't stop talking about Taylor Swift, one of the greatest nights of her life. What a weekend we just had in Vegas. I think he's, you know, he, look, when you get down there, there's less space. Um, there's more defenders in a smaller area. Uh, it's easier to disguise. So there's, you know, there's a lot going on for the quarterback. And so to be able to sort it out, make decisions, quick decisions under pressure with less information, uh, you know, that takes time, you know. And, and so Jimmy's learned and adapted uh, to our league and to our game. And, been able to play, um, you know, fast down there, which is important. Get to the right guy, you know, because a lot of times there's a few guys that are double teamed and there's one or two that might not be. And he gets to him pretty quickly and gets through his progressions and, and just has a knack for making some plays down there. Josh McDaniels on Jimmy G. Obviously, he's very comfortable talking about him, how familiar he is with him. I'm familiar with Remy Martin, team up for excellence. I want to thank our Remy team here. 
for the great Quantro game day party I was at this past Saturday at Dre's Beach Club. Wow, that was fun. Uh, took my son and my nephews and a couple of their friends onto the rooftop at Dre's. We've hosted big events there for the Raiders, draft parties, private events. That's one of the best views in town, and we loved it. We had a great time in a cabana. We enjoyed some Cointreau margaritas while watching college basketball. It was a great place to be. So thanks again to Remy Martin, our great team there that works with us. We're thrilled to have them back, and they had the grand opening of the Rogue Room, which was a big success too. That's the Ultra Lounge Restaurant and Pool in Red Rock Casino. So if you're out on my side of town over there by Red Rock, you want to go see that, fantastic, unbelievable. And you won't believe the brand-new Ultra Lounge restaurant and pool in the Red Rock Casino Rogue Room. So with all of this combined, big weekend for Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence, and we thank them very much for their partnership. So it was a big weekend in Vegas. Maroon 5 was here. All the concerts, John Mellencamp. We had Johnny Katz talk about it. Taylor Swift pulled off the biggest concert in Vegas history, period, ever. That's now the standard. If you don't have to be a fan for all the moms who went and the dads who brought their daughters and everybody else who went, they said it was the biggest because of the merchandise, the value of the ticket, back-to-back nights, how they were able to pull it off. And for those who are wondering about the sound, because I know the guys who worked the sound behind the scenes from the initial concert they had with Garth Brooks all the way to Taylor Swift, it was a big deal. And that's revenue coming into Vegas, and that's real revenue. When everybody sits here, and every once in a while, you'll see someone complain about public money. Oh, my God. Public money. Like, they're actually taking the money from the roads and the hospitals. No, they're not. It's public money, or they have a hotel tax and all of that. We don't, comp- we don't complain about that in Vegas at the level that they complain about those numbers in California. Everybody freaks out. Oh, my God, it's public money. Yeah, public money to build the stadium or an arena in your city and if you don't do it you're not going to have a team and your city's going to be dead quiet and there's going to be no concerts and nothing going around so there's a payoff i would like every day for a brand new arena to appear and no one has to pay for any of it the owner of the team the public money nobody we can just go to the concerts for free and walk up and down and drink beer for free it doesn't work that way and what vegas has done with t-mobile and now allegiant stadium we just saw this go down can you imagine what it was like For those who have been in Vegas 30, 40 years, you know, since the Running Rebels won with Jerry Tarkanian until now, I walked out of the Elite Eight game, and when I was around, I'm walking down the strip and seeing so many people walking, uh, other fan bases around town, and then everybody figuring out, well, i got to get in an Uber. I better get in an Uber quick because that concert's got over 40,000 people at Allegiant, and T-Mobile's got this going on, and then all the way down the resort corridor, all the concerts that were going on, Luke Bryan at Resorts World. And again, we mentioned the big names up and down the strip. It was incredible. And imagine this year when we have F1 and the sphere is going to be open. So on a certain night in November leading up to the Super Bowl, we're going to have an F1 weekend, which is going to be the biggest revenue sports event in the history of Vegas, bar none. Then we're going to build up to the Super Bowl, and then we're going to have the sphere open and all the concerts that are going to be coming there and the concerts at T-Mobile and Allegiant Stadium Dana White and UFC. So I'm not making light of this. I think this was a tremendous weekend that just happened historically in Vegas history. And for those outside the market, you know this. If you've been here and you've been here a bunch, you have seen the growth of Las Vegas as a sports town. And we we talk about these events and their entertainment stresses to the community. How are we going to deal with traffic? How are we going to deal with ride share? 
uh, cabs. I took a couple cabs this weekend, also a couple of ride shares, and everything for me worked out beautifully. My wife and I leave the car at home. We go out. We had an unbelievable weekend in this town. And, uh, you know, it just, it's just great to see what's going on here. And a lot of our partners on this show are involved in all that. We have a lot of casino properties from M Resort to Virgin Hotels to Resorts World. Right, So you look at all of our partners here, the Strat with PTs, our longest standing one. All those properties were packed because we had a massive, we had several massive events in town. In regards to the Elite Eight and the Sweet 16, I wanted to share this story. So I was sitting next to the next section over to the Gonzaga parents. And I grew up a club ball dad, you know, baseball, basketball. My kids played in town here, basketball, Vegas, Elite. There's a lot of good basketball players that have come through on their way to Gorman or other schools, Liberty here in town, and have gone on to the NCAA tournament. And I was sitting there watching the game, and it was a bad game. UConn was much better than Gonzaga, which was shocking to me. I thought Gonzaga would put up a better fight. They didn't put up a fight at all. And Drew Timmy got in foul trouble. But with about 10 minutes to go in the game, my wife and I noticed that the parents of the Gonzaga kids knew they were going to lose. They were down 20-something. The game was over. And they started getting up from their seats and hugging each other. And they started, you can tell these are parents. Their kids have played together in college, maybe even earlier than that. They knew they were going to lose. Very classy parents. And they were just turning around in one row and looking at the other, standing up and hugging each other, knowing it was over. That the dreams of those kids were going to come to an end without a final four. And I thought that was really unique to watch, to see the look on parents' faces watching their children play at the highest level, the NCAA tournament in Las Vegas. And they're getting blown out, but you could tell they understood the big picture, that life's bigger than a basketball game. You know, sometimes basketball games, you win, you lose. It should be the end of the Drew Timmy era. His parents were there, his mom and dad giving him a hug after the game. And when I left the building, the, most of the people have already left. We stayed till the final timeout. We left with about two minutes to go. And the place was half empty because Gonzaga got blown out. And we walked across the street to Park MGM to that rideshare lot, which was chaos, by the way. Chaos. My wife is a wizard. I had Uber going. She had Lyft going. The cab line you couldn't even look at. So we got out of there pretty quickly there. And we saw all the Gonzaga fans wearing their shirts. And they weren't crying and upset. They realized you win and lose. But the look on those Yukon fans who made that trip, that's a tough trip. It's tough to get a plane ticket from Stores, Connecticut, flying out of Hartford or somewhere in the tri-state area to come to Vegas and watch a team play. And now UConn looks to me to be the best team available. I think Miami is going to be a monster. FAU, Florida Atlantic is a shocker to me. And on the other side of that bracket, if you look how, how this is going to play out along the way, San Diego State. I lived in San Diego for eight years. A bunch of my friends went to school there. They don't have a big, vibrant fan base. It's good. But, you know, we see San Diego State play in the Mountain West. And I wonder how many Mountain West fans are going to be pulling for San Diego State. I'm not a big believer in rooting for your rival. I grew up a diehard Yankee fan. If the Yankees got eliminated or playing the Red Sox, I never rooted for the Red Sox. Red Sox won a bunch of World Series recently. I, I rooted, them to lose, rooted for them to lose every game. And I think I could say the same thing for the Dodger and Giant fans. Bruce Bochy won three World Series. And no Dodger fan was rooting for the Giants to win a World Series and vice versa. But I think it's a little bit different when it comes to college basketball. 
I think there are some fans here in Southern Nevada who are probably rooting for San Diego State because why? It's going to bring awareness to the Mountain West. That wouldn't affect me if I'm a UNLV fan. But something good's going to come out of it because maybe a couple of more kids will watch San Diego State and not pause on the Mountain West and wait to go to the Pac-12 or wait to go to the Big 12 and say, yeah, you know, the national champ, they can win the national championship. All San Diego State's got to do is beat FAU and they're a favorite. They're in the national championship game. So for those listening here in town, uh, do you want San Diego State to win because you're a Mountain West fan? Or are you hoping for them to lose? 702-365-9200. A couple of more uh, sound bites coming in here from what happened earlier today when Josh McDaniels met the media. I thought this was interesting. The head coach talked about building the defense coming up here in the draft. There's obviously, we felt like we probably needed to add a, a quantity of, of players relative to either starters or depth. Um, and the tricky part is going in and, you know, base based on the market of certain positions um it was going to be tougher to you know maybe address you know position a and then you can't really do much else you know what i mean because of the cost of it so um tried to weigh all those options out and see what made the most sense felt like with you know marcus and robert and brandon you know we, we might have been able to get three starters at different levels of the defense there with a corner, a linebacker, a safety. Um, and then, you know, trying to get a, a couple guys back from our team that I think one of the things that's lost a little bit sometimes is, you know, your ability to, to continue working with somebody is sometimes overlooked, you know, in terms of their overall development and impact on the team. Very interesting soundbite. So we told you they could have got three starters in the offseason, Spillane, Marcus Epps, I'll give you two of them because they're definitely starters. They didn't bring those guys and give them those contracts if they're not going to start. And then you look at Faison. Again, I wasn't a big fan of Faison when he was here, just like I wasn't for Amik Robertson or some of the other players that are here. I, I think they're good players, but I'm looking for Deion Sanders, right? I'm looking for Mike Haynes, and I know they're not walking through the door, you know, I'd like to get great players in here. But Josh McDaniels said something interesting. Working with the players that they're comfortable with, again, could bring something out. And it's their job to get something out of Trayvon Merrick, to try to get something out of Tyler Hall, get something out of Faison. Because they shouldn't be here unless they're going to play. I mean, unless you have to have backups and you took care of your backups in this, this little movement of free agency here. And I think they did that a lot. I think they took care of of some depth players here because they need to get starters in the draft. More from Josh McDaniels earlier today on building through the draft. And so we had some players last year that, you know, played roles, but could they be better in their second year? Could we be better with them in our second year coaching them? You know, Tillery, Amir Abdullah, you know, players like that where you, you have an opportunity to come back and run it back again and see where we can go with it this year, you know, as opposed to just, you know, uh, you know, just just calling it a day after one year. So, um, you know, we knew there, there's a lot of things that need to be addressed, um, but not the least of which is going to be the draft. You know, the draft's obviously important. We need to we need to draft and put a good young core on our team that we drafted, we developed, and we can continue to work with. We're a little you know deprived of that at the moment, but hopefully with this draft we have a lot of picks, and I would say going forward if we can try to string together a few of those together that's really the goal 
right. They, again, you want the plan? That's the plan. Raider fans hate that when I say it. I, they hate it. That's your plan. They got to build through the draft. They're going to build through the draft, and they brought in some depth and some players there that are going to help them out because these draft picks are really important now. Problem is, how do you draft young men out of college and have them play better than a five, six-year vet at the cornerback position? Well, you got to take a cornerback in the seventh pick who's better than all the veterans here, obviously. You got to get like a Namdi Asamoah. You got to get a player that you know when he comes in his rookie year, you're going to start him on an island because he can handle it, even if he gets burnt a couple of times and gives up some big plays. You got to get that player. And I think the Raiders are going to have an opportunity to do that. One of the other things that I've been telling you, and I, I'm not in the room, but they, they evaluate players differently now with these coaches. The player report cards, how they look at a player, where you're watching the player play on television or inside Allegiant Stadium, you don't get a chance to break down the film with scouts and coaches and assistant coaches and the head coach so they can evaluate these players going forward. Josh McDaniels gave us a little bit of that. I, I heard it. Uh, I didn't read the whole thing. I heard it. Um, you know, I'm aware of that. Obviously, though, those things aren't, you know, you don't like to hear those things. Um, you know, and there's, uh, we have captain's meetings every week, and, you know, we'll continue to, to talk to the leaders on our group. Um, you know, and you never know exactly where that's, you know, who said it and how it came across, and sometimes context is important. So I'll look into that and try to do whatever we can do to make, you know, if there's something that we, we don't love, you know, there's always going to be certain things that are, it's a give and take, you yeah. know, in terms of time and, and, and so on. So we've looked at our entire process this off season. We're going to try to make every aspect of it better. Some of which, you know, may mean certain things are uh, uh, done less, um, you know, now that it's our second year going forward, yeah. um, which, you know, may, may be something that would in, impact that, that feeling. That's a very interesting answer from him. Very honest answer because the player report cards didn't give stunning grades compared to the facility, the stadium, and all that to the coaching. Now, could that be because players weren't playing, the players weren't winning, the players weren't buying into the system? I think he answered that question to the best of his ability. What else is he going to say? All he can say is, we're going to do a better job. I'm going to fix it. We're going to take it in the context that the player said it and have to do better about that. A good follow-up question came after this on what they can do better. Relative to trying to put your foundation of your system in, sometimes there's a time element and a cost to that, that, you know, when you're brand new and you haven't really spent much time together, you know, there's an element of investment there that you, that you feel kind of is a necessary part of the deal. Um, and so, you know, that, that could have been some of it. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to try to speak for somebody else. I don't really know who that was, but um, we'll, we'll listen to that for sure. Talk to our, our leaders and the guys that are coming back and see what we can do to, to make our, you know, our process even better than, than what it was. All right, that's going to be really important going forward. Just that's something to react to. And then finally, the big one, before we come back, he was asked directly about the Darren Waller trade, and that was an elephant in the room. Waller's a big-time player in this league when healthy. He wasn't available all the time. The coach was asked about him specifically. That's a tough I mean, any of those decisions are tough. Um, Darren's obviously a, a really good player. Um, he's done a lot of really good things. Did some of them last year for us, um, you know. And they're not easy um, when they come when they come up. Those things come up. So, um, you know, it's just honestly, a, it was looking at the whole 
complexion of the roster, where we're at. You know, felt like I had an opportunity after discussing it with Dave. You know, get younger. Um, you know, and add another draft pick in the draft. You know, the top 100, uh, and use some of that money that we w- we would have paid Darren to to pay Jacoby and, and and start working towards some other things. So, like I said, um, I really enjoyed Darren, and you know, wished I would have had more games with him last year. But um, you know, I, like I said, not easy decisions, but that's that's what went into it. Wow, that says a lot. Not available. Wish he had more games with him. Uh, get cheaper cheaper players and pay Jacoby. That's a big part of this with what's going on with Jacoby coming in here. Jacoby Myers is supposed to be really impactful. Not a hundred receptions, I would say. Not a Waller's greatest year with the Raiders, but there's a lot of pressure on him to perform. Is one of the reasons why they got rid of Darren Waller and the money that moved on to get Jacoby Myers was for Jacoby to have a monster year, and he's got to have a monster year because that was a big tough financial decision we'll wrap it up on the other side the flagship of the raiders raider nation radio 9 20 a.m Michael takes it off the right boards. Pressured on the near side. Sends it in front. Wah, all by himself. Stop, rebound. He scores. Nicholas Wah in overtime. Knights four, Oilers three. Dazzling puck handling in front for Nicholas Wah. How about that? Dan Duva on the call. And Edmonton comes in tomorrow, which will be a big deal. As they're playing in Arizona, they got an opportunity here. Connor McDavid's the best player in hockey by far. And Jack Eichel is heating up, so can't wait for this game. Heavy heart today. Uh, three children, three adults killed in a school shooting in Nashville by a woman, 28 years old. Uh, she was killed by responding officers. Just another horrific moment in American history. Another school shooting here. You know, everybody says thoughts and prayers. I mean that all the time, but it continues to happen in this country. I got to bring this up. We have people who aren't aware of this. I can tell you it's just another sad day in this country. Can't imagine what these people are going through, especially the parents of the three children whose lives were taken. Godspeed. Just awful. Uh, On a lighter note, Yahoo Sports just put out their newest mock draft by a reputable name who I respect a lot. Charles McDonald put it out. Uh, Here's the order of the draft. Carolina, number one. They take C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. Houston, Alabama, Bryce Young. Arizona, three, takes Alabama's Will Anderson, Jr., the edge rusher. Indy at four, Will Levis, quarterback from Kentucky. Number five, Jalen Carter, the Georgia defensive lineman, drops to the Seahawks. At number six, the Lions via the Rams, quarterback Anthony Richardson. So according to Yahoo, all four quarterbacks, the big ones would be gone as the Raiders select at number seven. They have the Las Vegas Raiders taking Oregon cornerback Christian Gonzalez, which is fine there. Got no problem with that because as we look at who's going to be available after that, who are some of the other corners that are going to be afterwards, after the first two, there's going to be a drop-off. Devin Witherspoon, who played at Illinois, and I watched every one of his games, they have him going 25th to the Giants, the Illinois corner. So I think Christian Gonzalez is the better corner, and he'll be available for the Raiders. The Raiders should have at that point in this game because I saw, I think Daniel Jeremiah had Tyree Wilson, the Texas Tech edge rusher, 
going to the Raiders. And I thought that was a bit of a reach to get another edge rusher. But if he's the best available player at number seven, between an edge rusher and a corner, I'd take Christian Gonzalez all day. But I am not Dave Ziegler. He gets to make that. He gets to make that selection, and it'll be coming. So starting uh, the next couple of days, it'll be countdown to mock drafts. We'll have on a bunch of mock draft insiders, Raider insiders, to talk about that. Uh, catch me tonight on SiriusXM82. That's from 6 to 9 p.m. Most of this week on my national show, I'll be talking about the Final Four. Thanks to Bobby, Casey Jacobson, Mike Florio. How about that for coming on today? Hope everybody has a great day. We'll see you back here on the flagship of the Raiders. Q, live from the owners' meetings next. Next.